A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. In three, two, one. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie Easton. This, this is the Sunday Sunday. It's Olivia standing in for Jamie today. In today's episode, we're turning back time on ageing, scientists are bottling the smell of fear, and researchers want to use magic mushrooms to treat depression. But first, it was in this week in 2001 that NASA successfully flew its drone helicopter Ingenuity on Mars, the first powered aircraft to ever fly on another world. Last week, SpaceX and Houston-based Axiom Space made history by launching the first mission to the International Space Station made of wholly private citizens. The mission, known as AX-1, marks a key breakthrough for both space tourism and the expanding commercial spaceflight industry. With this mission, Axiom is setting the stage to construct a privately owned space station as the ISS could end its revolutionary run in the not-too-distant future. Three out of the four private astronauts share one trait with so many others who have gone to space lately. They're mega rich. Each of them paid $55 million for a ride on the spaceship. But the astronauts think that they're paving the way for the future of space travel. Here's mission commander Michael Lopez Alegria. We have to start somewhere. And you go back a century ago when people just were starting to fly on commercial airplanes. Same kind of thing, only the very wealthy were able to do it. Now look who can fly in an airplane. Whilst Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic have sent crews on short up and down trips, this mission isn't just space tourism. In their week-long stay, the Axiom astronauts are living, working and researching alongside professional astronauts on the International Space Station. I think there is a place for space tourism. It's just that's not what this mission is about at all. We need to span the gamut of experiences from somebody who just wants to have a little taste to somebody who wants a seven-course meal. We're on a seven-course meal plan. This is something that is the full experience. And I think that there will be an ever-increasing appetite for that. And Axiom is betting on it. The company has the ambitious goal of building the first commercial space station. Here's company CEO Michael Sofredini. We have a number of corporations and companies who want to do research in space. There's media interest in space. It's a long list of folks. This is the first step in a number of flights that allow us to work with NASA to learn how to operate together so that when our module, first module shows up, we can just jump right into it. If you've ever wished that you could turn back time and look 30 years younger, scientists have now found a way to do just that. Mm, kind of. They've rejuvenated the skin cells of a 52-year-old woman, making them equivalent to those of a 23-year-old. Researchers now believe they might be able to do the same thing with other tissues in the body, eventually developing treatments for age-related conditions like diabetes, heart disease, and neurological disorders. The breakthrough was made in a lab in Cambridge. 
Lead researcher Diljeet Gill added special chemicals to the skin cells of the 52-year-old woman, and he could hardly believe his eyes when he studied them under the microscope 12 days later. I remember the day when I actually got the, the results back and I was basically in shock and didn't quite believe that some of these samples were 30 years younger than they were supposed to be. I literally double-checked that the labels were the right ones and kind of spoke with people in the lab and yeah, it was a very exciting day. <laughs> the technology is based on techniques used to clone Dolly the sheep more than 25 years ago. She was created from an adult cell that was rejuvenated all the way back into an embryo. The aim at that time was to use cloning technology to turn cells taken from human patients into embryonic stem cells to combat many of the diseases of aging but it didn't quite work out. Those behind the latest research believe that they now have made a significant step forward. This is Professor Wolf Reich, who was also part of the research team. To be able to now imagine that there could be applications that could help thousands and thousands of people out there with conditions, as we all know, many common diseases in humans get worse with age or arise with age. And to be able to think about helping people in this way, it, is very, very exciting. But there is still a long way to go. The chemicals used in the rejuvenation process increase the risk of cancers. But now scientists know that age reversal is possible, they have a new way forward. Still to come on the Sunday 7, fighting depression with psychedelics and robot fingertips. Bye. Could magic mushrooms play a role in fighting depression? That's the question Professor David Nutt and his team are trying to answer over at Imperial College London. In their research, psilocybin, the compound that makes mushrooms magic, appears to free up the brain of people with severe depression in a way that other antidepressants just can't. These results mean the drug could treat depression in a unique way. The use of psychedelics to treat depression is not a new idea, but as Professor Nutt explains to Times Radio, the results from psilocybin are particularly exciting. So we started doing modern brain imaging on mm. psychedelics and we discovered, somewhat to our surprise, that psilocybin in particular dampened down the circuits that lead to depression. And so we thought, well, if they're doing that in people who aren't depressed, would they do it in people who are depressed? And then and that's why we started doing the trials in depression, uh, out of which came the results that we're talking about today. Not, not just that it did work, it helped people get out of depression, but we can now image their brains and we know how it works. It, we know it, that it basically frees up the brain. It makes the brain less rigid in its thinking. The impressive results are based on brain scans of 60 people who took part in the study. These results could be seen in increased connections between the regions of the brain when patients were scanned. These patients were more likely to experience an improvement in mood months later. And these outcomes come side effect free. Because depression is a state where the brain gets tripped into or tricked into or, or gets into a bad habit. You know, like all bad habits, getting rid of them generally improves your well-being across the board. The first trial was in resistant depression. People who failed on at least two, and many had failed on multiple traditional antidepressants, and they'd all failed on psychotherapy, CBT. And most of them got significant improvement. Some people are still well eight years later, so it was dramatic in those people who'd failed on other treatments. And the second point to make is that in the second trial, we did a comparison with a standard treatment. So we gave two doses of psilocybin, and we gave six weeks of a standard antidepressant called escitalopram. And on almost all the measures of clinical outcome, two doses of psilocybin, while regular antidepressants are taken every day, psilocybin may only need to be taken once or twice to produce the same effect. 
further research and more patience for longer is needed to confirm that. Robots are getting more and more like us every day. Normally, robotic hands often lack the tactile sensation of human fingertips, making them less dexterous. Now, developed by researchers at the University of Bristol, a 3D printed robotic fingertip contains structures that allows it to touch and feel surfaces using the same principles seen in human skin. Nathan Lapora is a professor of robotics and AI at Bristol and spoke to new scientists to explain exactly how this all works. The way this tactile fingertip works is our skin has an, a complex structure uh, of, a, of a kind of relatively tough outer surface, the epidermis, covering a soft inner surface called the dermis. And between those two layers of the skin, are these structures called dermal papillae. Um, so we 3D print that similar structure into our artificial skin so that it can respond to contact in a similar way to, to human skin. But instead of having nerve endings that are found in real skin, we instead mount a camera inside the sensor and the cable picks up that, that movement of those papillae those structures inside this artificial skin. The team plans to install the fingertips on prosthetic hands to boost the tactile ability of robots by giving them an inbuilt sense of touch. Still to come on the Sunday 7, scientists are harnessing the smell of fear and Prince William talks earth shot. Right after this. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You're listening to The Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. In a lab at Penn State University, researchers are looking for the smell of fear. In the lab, we're really interested in focusing in on a really specific element of insect ecology to understand how insects detect and respond to stressors. In particular, we've studied the stress that comes from the fear of encountering a predatory insect that wants to consume them. And so we call that the ecology of fear. Scientists like Dr. Sarah Herman have been researching the ecology of fear in order to design sustainable pest management strategies. Whilst humans don't encounter predators in our day-to-day -day life, we do still use our senses to respond to threats and dangers, and these fear responses keep us safe. 
So for example, as we walk down the street, we can use our senses to first smell if something is a little bit off. Say we're going up to a building, but you start to smell smoke. That's gonna put you on high alert. That's information that we use to integrate and respond to something that might be dangerous to us. But then if we couple that with seeing flames, using a different sensory modality to detect risk or threats, we're gonna respond by avoiding that fire. We're not gonna go into that building. And so we in the lab don't study humans, but the ideas and concepts of responding to stress draws parallels across the animal kingdom, including in insects. So they want to see if they can harness the smell of fear and manipulate a response from insects to protect gardens and crops from pests. And so our goal in our early work has shown that these fear-based responses can change insect behaviors in ways that reduce their damage on these crop plants. We see changes in feeding, egg laying, colonization in these agricultural systems just in response to the predators. The predators in this scenario are ladybirds and the prey are aphids. Dr. Jessica Kansman led this part of the research. What people don't know is that aphids are present in nearly every crop that we grow worldwide. And they're a massive pest for a multitude of reasons. So one, they have this intense reproductive capacity where they clone themselves. And so their populations can reach incredibly high numbers in short periods of time. And two, they are also vectors of plant diseases. So much in the same way a mosquito can transmit viruses between people, so feeding on the blood of one person and then transmitting that virus to another person. Aphids do that same thing in the plant world. So they're very devastating pests that we're always looking for novel and sustainable ways in which to manage them. And their lab has shown some promising results. We're finding that aphids avoid plants with lady beetles on them and have fewer young in the presence of lady beetles. But the catch is, We're finding this in just response to the odor cues. Aphids and lady beetles were separated from each other with a barrier. So the only thing that was going between them were the smell cues. And we found that they had fewer young in that case. So this is a promising result for us moving forward. And so what we really want to do next is figure out how to bottle these odor cues. Using what is called volatile collection, the researchers are able to determine exactly what smell the aphids are picking up on when they sense a ladybird is around. They can then test each of those compounds to see which ones the aphids respond to most and create a specialized cocktail of fear to keep insects at bay. So as we're trying to feed a growing population, we are in need of increased crop productivity to a degree in which we haven't had to do before. And we're always on the hunt for new and sustainable pest management strategies as we're moving to reduce pesticide usage since pesticides can be both have harmful impacts for human health as well as for beneficial other insects in our ecosystems like pollinators and other predators that we actually want to maintain. And so there's a need for these new types of pest management strategies. They've already conducted field tests on their bottled smell of fear and the results are looking good. We have seen that using those methoxypyrazines in the field, there is a reduction in aphid colonization to those plants in comparison to plants without. It's actually a reduction to the same degree as with plants that have actual physical lady beetles bagged to them. So that's a promising result that we're hoping to test in a field season this summer, looking at a longer term test of those blends and the effects on aphid colonization, in addition to other community members of the insect community.
Fitzwilliam has made a special appearance on the brand new Audible podcast, Climate of Change. Recorded in the first solar-powered studio in Europe, Will was interviewed by hosts Kate Blanchett and Danny Kennedy. The Royal opened up about his experiences of climate activism, his involvement with the Earthshot Prize, and he revealed that his appreciation for the natural world was first piqued by his father and grandfather's passion for it. Watching a lot of documentaries, particularly with David Attenborough, um, I think as a young age that kind of really piqued my interest that you know there's a wider world out there to explore and mm. I think my f- grandfather and my father both kind of having a deep passion and interest in this area for many years has sort of um, piqued my interest and my curiosity. So growing up I was surrounded by this adventure and this idea of exploring and, and being out in the garden. I used to spend hours climbing trees, digging ditches and all sorts of things, hiding in dens and all sorts around the garden. So I used to love being out in the, sort of, in the wild and the, and the wet. When asked whether we might be able to work our way out of what seems to be a crisis, the Duke replied by quoting Christina Figueres, chair of Earthshot's board of trustees. To coin Christiana Figueres' phrase, a stubborn optimist, I think this is sort of where I'm feeling quite quite like I'm at at the moment. You She's given me a lot of hope that there's that, that this can happen, and, I, and I, I believe it, and I'm seeing it with my own eyes. It's everyone doing their bit and helping and supporting what we're trying to do. Is it, it's, it's all of us in it together. I, I really do think it can be done in a much quicker time than we than we anticipate because the solutions are out there there is there is real solutions to these problems the inaugural earthshot prize ceremony was staged last october at alexandra palace in london the ceremony saw one million pounds in prize money presented to each of the five category winners and organizers have said that if their ideas are realized by 2030 it would improve life for everyone Nominations for the 2022 Earthshot Prize have opened already, and the Duke says that they're yet to decide which city will host it. But he did share that he's keen to get a wider representation of nominees. What I'd love to see, personally, is I'd like to see more women-led solutions and more Indigenous community-led solutions. But these next nine months, what we've got to really focus on is, is, is the scaling of the 2021 winners and finalists. That's what's really important to us. That's, that's I think, the game-changing nature of what the Earthshot Prize is about. Tardigrades are microscopic, eight-legged aquatic animals. They're often called water bears or moss piglets, and they're found in many habitats. They have a reputation for being immortal. And whilst this isn't exactly 100% true, they do have some surprising abilities that could help us. Jan Beccoloni is a researcher in the Life Sciences Division of the Natural History Museum, and she explains... Tardigrades are extremely drought tolerant and they have special proteins that produce a glass-like matrix in their body to stop them from totally dehydrating. And in this state they're called a ton and they can survive in those conditions for about 10 years. However, under normal environmental conditions they would only live for about two to three months. Harness the special proteins of the tardigrades, we might actually be able to make drought resistant crops and medicines that don't need refrigeration. And that's one of the reasons why tardigrades are so cool. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7 a.m. with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced, and published by Daft Doris.